Antenna TV. Daytime means memories. Dennis the Menace. Bewitched. And I dream of genie. I cannot wait. Turn your TV back in time with Antenna TV on over-the-air channel 9.2 or check your cable listings. Antenna TV. You know the laughs. <laughs> now get your laughs all day. Watch the classic comedy of Antenna TV on over-the-air channel 9.2 or check your cable listings. An American is the youngest player ever to compete in the Women's World Cup. 16-year-old Casey Fair from New Jersey has dual citizenship in the U.S. and South Korea. She trained with both teams for choosing South Korea. All right. Thanks so much for trusting us tonight on Balance with Leland Vitterts next. the program tonight patriotism problem young americans no longer find america all that special i will be our next president and lead a national revival like like reagan did in 1980 can a surging millennial presidential candidate solve the problem new york blame game liberal media is scared of our mayor because he's a black man so they don't want to talk bad about him does mayor eric adams get a free pass on new york's growing crime problem skeptics among us we're definitely not alone absolutely the data points empirically that we're not alone yeah ufo whistleblowers testify before congress tomorrow what if they are blowing the whistle on hot air there are a lot of countries in the world that have sophisticated listening satellite devices. Not one has produced any evidence. Presidential plea deal. Hunter Biden heads to court for federal tax crimes. What the plea deal could tell us about conversations with dad. Nothing more than that, because I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters. He did not do a single thing wrong. Can country music save America? I remember we were Cooper wanted to meet country star Luke Combs. What their duet says about American culture. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight from New York. Young Americans, it turns out, those under 35, aren't so proud to be Americans these days. And to be fair... Who can actually blame them? Democrats say America is a racist, transphobic, fossil fuel burning, unfair society. And they, they Democrats alone, can protect American democracy from the evil Donald Trump. Republicans call our country a crime infested, woke bastion on the verge of economic collapse, run by a corrupt family with an unprepared military and an open border. They, Republicans alone, can prevent small-town America, rural America, from becoming Skid Row in San Francisco. So it's perhaps no surprise. Less than one in five young Americans say they are extremely proud to be an American, only 18 percent. certainly explains the current military recruitment problem. Of course, millions around the world risk their lives and spend their fortunes to flood across our southern border. They spend every penny they have. The American dream is very much alive just young Americans don't seem to believe in it. The vast majority in America aren't happy with their choice for a new president who can blame them either. 
reminds me of an old Arabic saying from my time in the Middle East. I have two choices, both of which are bitter. That's how so much of America feels. And that's not really partisan. It just is how people feel. They feel bitter and afraid. Enter Vivek Ramaswamy, a 37-year-old entrepreneur who promises a different kind of presidential campaign. I have said I would shut down the FBI. If I'm elected the next U.S. president to pardon Donald J. Trump, we'll put a gun in every Taiwanese household, train them how to use it. I'm actually a path to legalization guy for a lot of different drugs. He will, of course, attack Democrats and does so with vigor. His messaging is actually working, along with a lot of hard work that he's put in in Iowa and New Hampshire, as well as on television and social media. He's doubled his support since June 1st and is now in third place behind Trump and DeSantis. Mr. Ramaswamy is with us now. It's good to see you, sir. Welcome back to the program. We appreciate it. Um, you tweeted out the same the same poll that we talked about at, at the top of, of the program about how young Americans are feeling. Do you agree with us that it's hard to blame them based on what they're hearing from our leaders? I think it's also hard to blame them based on the economic experience they've had in this country. Being told that if you work hard, go to school, get a four-year degree with college debt, that you get ahead. This is personal for me. I'm a millennial. I entered the workforce in the fall of 2007 at a finance firm in New York on the eve of the 2008 financial crisis. So, Leland, I understand why young Americans are jaded and cynical. But for too long, both the left and the right, we have been running from something. I'm in this race to start leading us to something, to our vision of what it actually means to be an American. Revive that missing national identity. And by the way, growing the economy along the way is going to help as well, because young people do tend to be more proud of a country when we're making more yeah. money in that country. And that's exactly what's going to happen under eight it, years it would, of my watch. All right. So it's kind of like what, what Bill Clinton famously said, James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. If people don't feel economically secure and like they have an economic future, it's hard to feel good about anything else. At the beginning of the program, we put up a a, a graphic that had a donkey and an elephant uh, uh, fighting each other. You said sort of how they feel economically. Reasonable people can agree that the economic policies of Donald Trump and the massive spending uh, that he did uh, probably uh, helped the economy before it hurt the economy. Uh, we can all understand what's, what's happened under President Biden economically, uh, not in terms of unemployment numbers, but in terms of how people feel. You're running as a Republican, but... What does that actually mean to you? Or would you be better as neither a Republican or a Democrat? Well, look, I don't think the right divide in this country is between Republicans and Democrats. I think it's between those of us who stand for pro-American principles. One of those pro-American principles is economic growth. That's something that in many ways both parties have abandoned or at least conceded that we can't actually deliver for five plus percent GDP growth. Turns out that's what we've grown at for most of our national history. I think some of the figures that Biden and his administration are putting out are understating the economic trouble that we're actually facing. Yes, unemployment is relatively low, but the reality is the unique challenge of today is there are way more job openings than there are people here in the United mm -hmm. States right now. And so what we need to do is actually address the top obstacles that many small businesses and large businesses face too. No, no. stop paying people more to stay at home than to go to work, fix merit based immigration. I think those are going to be important and under discussed elements, Leland, in actually growing this economy, 
which is uh, one of the many steps required to revive our national pride. Uh, we followed your campaign from the beginning. This is the first time I've really heard you speak, at least to us, about uh, so much uh, about economic issues, so much of what you've talked about, at least to me, and I've, I've heard you talking about being an anti-woke crusader, uh, in, in, your, in your words, and in running an anti-woke campaign. Fox Business Poll, biggest issues for GOP voters. Uh, economy, 41% overall. Voters under the age of 45, 51%. Uh, it is about the economy, stupid. And I'm wondering if when you think you look at what we call the cross tabs uh, in these polls, meaning you dig down deep into the, the data. And I know you've done this. The social issues, the, the woke issues uh, are third or fourth on people's most important list. I'm wondering why, at least on the stump and is I, I followed your campaign, you've prioritized that so much. Well, I actually think, Leland. This, let's go a little deeper. These issues are deeply connected, actually. Okay. I think that our loss of self-confidence manifests itself in terms of these cultural dogmas like wokeism and climatism and gender ideology. But that loss of self-confidence is also what acts as an impediment to economic growth. People don't feel confident to take risks to start a new business or grow that business when they're lacking that self-confidence. And so the media has actually characterized my campaign as an anti-woke campaign I never have, even since day one. I said this was a campaign about reviving our missing national identity. And part of that identity is based on the unapologetic pursuit of excellence in education, in our culture, and yes, in our economy too. But you are also right about one thing, is that we are moving into a second phase of this campaign. The first phase was about introducing myself to the people of this country and laying out my vision. Now we're getting to the nuts and bolts of how we're actually going to accomplish it. Reviving the economy is one element of okay, that. I, I, now, as we're on our way to the top, I'm going to go into those details. You know, it's interesting. You're, you're, you're talking about as you as you surge in the polls, all of a sudden people are taking you seriously. When I tweeted out that you were coming on the program t- tonight, some very powerful folks backed by a whole lot of money sent me some opposition research on you. Uh, that had never happened before. Uh, so it, t- it tells you that, that there's people out there who are who, who are now all of a sudden paying attention and they're listening. One of the things that they listened to uh, was an interview in which you talked about pardons across the board, not just to Republicans and Donald Trump, but but to Democrats uh, as well as, as a way to bring America together. Take a listen. How do you feel about mass pardons? I'm talking about Hillary Clinton's emails, Joe Biden's son, Donald Trump. Just let the past go. Move. For- that is an idea that I am very open to after we've gotten to the truth of the matter of all of the ways in which the government has actually lied to us. So you promised already to pardon Donald Trump. Does that extend just to the charges that have been leveled so far? Does that extend to additional charges? And I'm wondering why you feel like you need to get to the to the bot to anything for Donald Trump. Well, look, I want to move this nation forward. We are deeply divided. Yes, there have been nations that have been even more divided than we are. Take South Africa, how Nelson Mandela led that nation forward. It required some element of forgiveness and moving forward. I think that it's a national disaster to see a president now under indictment while he's running when the party in power is using police force to arrest its political opponents. I read the first two indictments. I'm guided by the facts and the law. It is clear to me those were politically motivated persecutions and prosecutions. That's why on those first two, okay, I so, said so I would you're, pardon you're, President you're, Trump. Your pro- promise extends just to those first two so far. Last, qu- and I just want to nail you down on this uh, quickly. 
you, you haven't decided whether or not you would pardon Joe Biden uh, if anything that he was ever charged with or Hunter, Hunter Biden and expunge uh, his plea deal or any of those kinds of things. I have not decided that yet, but what I have decided is that my top priority is going to be to move this nation forward, to revive the principles of the American Revolution that set this country into motion, and to move beyond our diversity and our differences, which I think we celebrate too much. I think our true strength is what unites us across that diversity. And so whatever decisions we will make, it is in service of moving forward and reviving those shared ideals that define what it means to be an American. That's a commitment I can definitely give you will guide all of my decisions. All right. We, we appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Uh, congratulations on the uh, success. Uh, we'll be following you. Thank you. All right. Appreciate see, you on, see you on the trail. Credit where credit is due. Ramaswamy actively engages his critics in the media and in person, something that most presidential candidates on either side doesn't do. For example, the New York Post Ricky Schlott wrote in May of Ramaswamy's proposal to raise the age to vote, raising the voting age to 25 is a terrible idea that will hurt Gen Z. He invited her to New Hampshire for a discussion, and Ricky is with us now. Did he convince you? Not on that front, but I do think I was, I was very taken by how positive and restorative his vision is for America. I think he is a really impressive and refreshing voice, um, and certainly a young voice that I do think resonates with young people, but I would say uh, disenfranchising those under 25 is not really the restorative vision that I'm hoping for, especially as someone under 25, so I was not convinced on that front. You were not convinced on that front, although I think, look, reasonable people can agree he wants a constitutional amendment, which is what you have to do to raise the voting age to 25. That's pretty far-fetched to have happen. And I think you, you look at some of his other things, we put, put it up there, abolishing the FBI. Some, some of these things don't really seem that possible. When, when we listen to his message, though, about restoring economic hope to, to millennials, how does things like just, you know, ending the FBI, pardoning Donald Trump. How does that do that? I don't think that's going to accomplish uh, getting Gen Z voters in, in maybe in the primary, just general Republican election. Certainly, I think that that's something that might speak to primary voters. But in terms of the Gen Z message and the millennial message and what young people want to hear about, I do think it's this economic message that he's tacking to now. I've followed his campaign as well through the months, and I think he's actually moving towards uh, welcoming more young voters. He recently was at 12 percent in a Kaplan poll, um, neck and neck with DeSantis, and I that was largely gained with young people, and I think that he's leaning into that that strategy now. Look, I haven't been out on on the campaign trail with him. He seems pretty dynamic when you, when you yeah. watch him interact with voters, and he's willing to talk to sort of anybody. Which, if you watch uh, certainly Ron DeSantis and others, uh, they're not willing to put him in those positions where he has to has to sort of joust with with people who might disagree with him. You think about flash in the pan candidates from recent elections. Herman Cain, you know, 999 sort of surged and then blew up. Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucus. Rick Perry, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Pete Buttigieg. All these people sort of had their moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you've seen. And granted, when Herman Cain was running, I think you were still in grade school. But um, is there anything you've seen that would tell you Vivek Ramaswamy is not right now having the flash in the pan moment? 
Yeah, because I think he's a political outsider who has um, just gained traction with name ID and a lot of earned media. He's he's really media savvy. He's yeah. he's always somewhere making clips and he's great and smart and sharp. And I think that in a rather uh, geriatric election cycle, that's really refreshing to people. And so I don't think this is a flash in the pan. I do think that he's genuinely earning the name ID. Yeah, and look with a different message. And he said he said the he said the divide in America is is an economic vision vision one. You could also make it as a a rural urban divide or a class divide that doesn't necessarily fit the Republican Democratic labels. I know you've talked about that. It's great to see you. Great uh, to come, see you as well. Come back with some more uh, dispatches from the trail. All right. Awesome. It's Thank good you. To, good to see you. Hunter Biden is expected to plead guilty in a sweetheart deal tomorrow. Why you would have no way of knowing that if you listen to the advocacy media on the left. And yet another example of country music displaying the best of America. I remember when we were driving, driving I'm just not going to get into uh, into into anything that's related to Hunter Biden. He's a private citizen. I would refer you to his representatives. Uh, just don't have anything to share on that. That is something that he is dealing with. And so would refer you to his representatives on this. Hmm. Another change from the White House's talking points. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Tomorrow, Hunter Biden will appear in federal court to plead guilty on tax charges. And depending on which Media outlets you look at that is barely newsworthy or just the beginning of a wide-ranging criminal conspiracy. And to be fair, the truth lies probably somewhere in the middle. Next week, Devin Archer, one of Hunter's business partners, will testify to House Republicans. They claim Archer will deliver damning evidence of Joe Biden's connection to Hunter's businesses and influence penalty. A quick look at the websites of America's major papers show no mention of Archer or the younger Biden's upcoming court appearance. Yesterday, the White House subtly changed their talking points from the president never talking to Hunter about his business to never being in business with his son. Juries of the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his business. So I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. I've never spoken to my son about business. So you see the change from never being in business to never talking about business. That's a significant Because tomorrow we will see the younger Biden's plea agreement, which will either confirm or contradict Republicans' claims of a sweetheart deal for the first son. Bob Driscoll's here, former deputy assistant attorney general under President George W. Bush. Uh, Bob, it's always good to see you. Washington Post opinion today uh, from Hugh Hewitt, conservative radio host. Uh, He says the Hunter Biden judge should throw out the plea deal. Uh, Effectively, the judge should say this is this is too good of a deal. I'm not letting you do it. Uh, not letting the prosecutors do it. That's not going to happen, is it? Uh, that would be hugely unlikely. And I think that's wishful thinking on the part of some conservatives. Because the, the judge is essentially going to see if the plea is entered into knowingly and voluntarily by Hunter Biden. And is going to look and see at the terms of what he was charged with. The, the judge is not going to go back and say, well, he could have been charged with this or he could have been charged with that. Or the FBI dropped the ball. That's more of a matter for the House Oversight. And so, you know, the, the, the one, I would say, minor complication here that, that, that is worth watching is that uh, Hunter's lawyers have entered into what's called a Rule 11C plea, 
meaning that the government and Hunter's lawyers have entered into an agreement as to what the specific sentence will be. Most times when you plead guilty, you plead guilty. There might be a second sentencing recommendation that's agreed to, but everyone agrees the sentence is up to the judge. Here, if the judge does not sign off on this sentence now, the judge has to reject the plea agreement in its entirety, and the parties go back to the drawing board. So oh. unlike most plea hearings, tomorrow the judge will either agree to this this plea deal, and it will be essentially the sentence will be set, um, uh, at least in principle, by tomorrow, if she does. And if she doesn't, then it's back to square one. Uh, okay. But again, I view it's unlikely that she's going to upset an agreement that the parties have reached. All right. So there, there's the the relative advocacy media on the left has sort of ignored this story, right? It's Hunter Biden who had some issues. Right. And yes, he was in business, but he had cocaine issues and on and on and on. And he's right. moving on with his personal life. The, the sort of polar opposite on the right uh, now says that this is just the beginning of the giant conspiracy come, coming crashing down. Take a listen. A new bombshell this week for the Biden family, a declassified FBI document detailing damning claims by an informant that alleges President Biden and his son, Hunter, were involved in a multi-million dollar international bribery scheme. But his son is going to admit that he has done something wrong on Wednesday. And in fact, we have Joe Biden on tape admitting and bragging about it. There is something very rotten in the FBI and the DOJ. Do we have any idea if the plea deal tomorrow is going to give sort of Hunter Biden a free pass going forward? Is this plead guilty and the investigations are over, plead guilty, and you have to cooperate and answer our questions about other things? Where are we on that? There's actually been conflicting news on that. Um, The the government has um, uh, objected to some of the oversight by House Republicans, saying there was still an ongoing investigation. Um, whereas uh, Hunter's lawyers have suggested that the matter is closed. So, again, I, I'm not sure if hmm. we'll have any more clarity on that tomorrow. I mean, the government kind of always has the ability to, to usually when you enter a plea agreement, they will say the fact as known to the government at the time um, that this is all you're in for. But I think that, that we won't know, you know really until the future if there's more that could be, uh, that could be investigated. You, in practical terms, in most cases, yeah. no. Whereas this is a high-profile case with lots of pressure, you know, there can always be a uh, an unusual situation when you have yeah. a case. And, like and, and, and talk about an unusual situation. This breaking just a couple of minutes ago, Hunter Biden's lawyers may face sanctions after being accused of lying to the clerk in his criminal tax case as the judge orders the first son's attorneys to explain themselves by tonight. Uh, when we get that explanation, Bob, I know we'll be, we'll be coming back to you to, to talk about it. Bob, mm-hmm. it's good to see you as always. Thank you. Good to see you, Lynn. Yes, sir. You might have heard recently about the controversies in country music with charges of racist songs and music videos that inspire lynchings. But any any fair look right now at country music shows just the opposite. That's Cooper Massengill on set with Luke Combs. The Make-A-Wish Foundation told Combs of Cooper's lifelong dream to meet him. And the song that they sung together is none other than Fast Car.
hard to find a dry eye in there between the cheers. That's the Tracy Chapman song Coombs covered on his latest album that that caused a little bit of controversy. We'll deal with that later. Cooper's with us, along with his dad, Travis Massingill. Gentlemen, it is good to see both of you. Uh, Cooper, did you think it was going to be that cool to be out on stage with Luke Combs? Yes. <laughs> you, you, I have to say, you looked a little bit nervous for a minute, were you? Did you practice at all? Um, yes. Yeah? What, what was important to you about that song? It was just my favorite, and it meant a lot to me. Yeah? Tell me what meant a lot to you about it. It was just the, it was just like the song. Yeah. Travis, I'm thinking about the, the situation you all are in and Make-A-Wish being able to, to bring Cooper out there and do this with Luke Combs. Is there something about the message of country music that, that we're all missing, perhaps, in the political debate? Yeah, I mean, it, it's Luke Combs, it, it, he's just a great guy overall. I mean, regardless of everything else going on, it's just, it's not about all that. It's, I mean, he, he's just a great guy, and like a lot of the country singers are. Yeah, for, for sure. So, Cooper, is this all, has country always been your favorite kind of music? Um, yes. Yeah? What do you like about it? It's just like the people. Yeah? What they sing about? Um, all right. Mm-hmm. Travis, take us, through, take us through this process and, and what, you know, it's one thing to be able to meet Luke Combs. It's a whole other thing for Cooper to come out on stage and, and get to sing and, and experience that. Yeah, so, I mean, we found out the Monday before that we were flying. We're in Georgia. We flew up to um, Boston, went to the game, or to the um, concert there at um, at Gillette Stadium. We had the meet and greet before. Cooper on his own decided he was going to ask Luke if he can go on stage and sing with him. And, I mean, he didn't hesitate. He said, of course you can. That's, that's pretty cool. You know, it's interesting you said Gillette Stadium. It's up in Massachusetts. Country music is now sort of taken over across across America. And I'm wondering if there's not something about the country experience and, and what it sings about that transcends not necessarily a political divide, but the urban-rural divide in America, right? That there there's something common about what's being sung about, whether you live in suburban uh, Georgia, you know, suburban Atlanta or suburban Boston. Yeah, that's, yeah I mean, it's... It, yeah, everybody's the same regarding I mean, when you get outside of the cities. Everybody, a lot of people are, have the same type of life outside there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Travis, uh, we appreciate it. Cooper, uh, you, you still smiling, thinking about those moments? You got some good pictures? Yeah, some, yeah we got some yes. good pictures. Yeah. 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 Your, 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 your friends say anything? Were they in the crowd? Did they get to see it? No, no, they weren't there. No, all right. Well, you're, you're. You, I'll put it. I'll put it this way: when you go to school and everybody's saying what they did this summer, you've got the coolest story. All right. Okay. <laughs> I can imagine. All right, gentlemen, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Coming up, maybe there aren't aliens randomly visiting Earth, but that doesn't stop Congress from holding hearings tomorrow. countries in the world 
that have sophisticated listening satellite devices. Not one has produced any evidence, hard, factual evidence, that a UFO entered our atmosphere and did anything. So U.S. government covering up, Roswell, New Mexico, uh, Nevada, all of this, okay. But what about China? What about India? What about Great Britain? They've never, ever put forth anything. And so I'm skeptical. That's Bill O'Reilly from last night's show. His mind seems made up about UFOs, but tomorrow Congress is going to hold hearings on the latest UFO whistleblowers allegations you first heard here on News Nation. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft, if you will. Non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do. All right, so David Grush is going to testify before Congress. His opening statement, uh, we got a copy of, I am driven in this duty by a conviction to expose what I view as a grave congressional oversight issue the potential abuse of executive branch authorities. Tomorrow hearing is first come, first serve. The hearing lines are expected to form early tomorrow morning. Joining us now, astronomer Nick Sundreff, who studies the origin and evolution of the universe and host and producer of the Skeptoid podcast, Brian Dunning. Gentlemen, it's good to see uh, both of you. Look, I'm, I'm paid as a, as a journalist just to be skeptical as my nature. You guys are experts in this, and you are uh, skeptical of it. Uh, Nick, first, first to you, what... What makes you say, hey, look, all this stuff, all these videos, all these reports, all these people saying that we have foreign spacecraft, whatever, uh, is just bupkis? Well, it's not bupkis. You know, I'm a scientist. We require a high level of evidence in order for us to believe something. I mean, the, the origin and the evolution of life in the universe is something that we study. We're fascinated by it. We would like to discover extraterrestrial intelligence, but we need hard evidence. And so far... Mostly what we have are, are fuzzy videos and secondhand uh, testimony from people from the, who say that there are bodies and spacecraft, but we've never seen any of mm. them. And it just seems unlikely that a spacecraft comes from a distant star, thousands of light years away, comes to the Earth and crashes into it. I mean, this seems sounds like incompetent aliens to me. <laughs> I like that, incompetent aliens. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brian, look, give us... In your opinion, what is the best evidence that that those who say UFOs exist and that, that the government is hiding orbs from another planet and on and on and on? What's the best evidence that exists and why is it not convincing? The best evidence that exists is verbal stories. And that's not convincing because it's what we call anecdotal evidence, which is, means something that cannot be studied or tested or, you know, it's not empirical evidence something we can't do anything with. We can't tell whether a verbal story is true or not. We can say, that's interesting, and it can suggest further directions for research, but unless anything happens to follow that up, we've still got nothing. And since 1947, nothing is still what we've got a whole lot of. Yeah, look, back in 1966, Gerald Ford, uh, then congressman, was talking about having hearings on just this. 
Um, the government knows more about UAPs, that's the new fancy term for UFOs, than shared publicly, and excessive classification practices keep crucial information hidden. There's a lack of transparency that's unsettling since 2021. All UAP videos are classified as secret or above. Uh, the level of secrecy not only impedes our understanding, but fuels speculation and mistrust. Is the U.S. hiding UFO info? Uh, 57% of Americans say yes, 21% no, 22% don't know. I guess the, the real answer is yes, of, of course they're withholding inf information, Nick. The question is just are they withholding information about really high-tech secret government pro projects or are they withholding little green men? Well, it could be neither. I mean, maybe they're hold withholding information because they don't want our competitors, our enemies, to know that we have no information whatsoever. It keeps them guessing that maybe we do have something. So there are other explanations for why things haven't been said. I mean, I look forward to tomorrow hearing what people say, but unfortunately, the three witnesses they have, we've heard pretty much everything they've said, except for the first witness who comes from the, um, the intelligence department. He was the, he's the uh, person that works in, in defense intelligence, and he is the whistleblower, and he says he has other evidence. But we do need solid evidence. We need physical evidence. I like to joke that we need a carburetor from one of these things to, to really know that these things exist. But so far, it's just fuzzy images for the most part and secondhand evidence. Yeah, Brian, as we, as we sort of digest this and, and think about it, when, when we send, and look, NASA does this, the, Soviet, the Soviets, the Russians do this, the Chinese do this, when we send probes out into outer space, um, do we do we try to sort of sneak into other people's atmosphere? I mean, do we sneak into Mars or Saturn and try to try to get close to their uh, you know military exercise areas, like allegedly these UFOs do to us, or do we circle the planet and say hi, we're here? Well, I mean, if we're going to go by the one data point we have of what civilization has tried to contact others, yes, it's ourselves when we've sent out the Voyager and Pioneer probes and. We put, you know, the golden record. We put the, the plaque on the side of them saying, hey, this is us. Here's everything we know. Here's where we are. Here's what we do. Here's a record of sounds from our planet, telling them everything we can. Uh, we're listening on the radio frequencies that they're most likely to transmit on to see if anyone out there is trying to reach us. We've yeah. made a few efforts to try and contact people. We're being very, very sociable. In our efforts, in our hopes to eventually okay. get in touch with some civilization, yeah, well, and we presume that they would too. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll presume until uh, Independence Day, I guess, com comes about. Gentlemen, it's good to see, good to see both of you. Thank you for your expertise. I appreciate the, the sober analysis. Uh, Chris Cuomo has been covering an awful lot of this. Uh, he'll have more on tomorrow's historic hearing. Uh, Chris, Chris, what are we what are we going to learn? Listen, first of all, these guys were great, um, Leland, and thank you for giving me some time on your show. This isn't just about uh, the explosive idea that we have proof of life beyond Earth. Uh, that would be extraordinary as somebody who is open to that possibility. I think it, it reveals a strange arrogance to not be open to it. Of course, you want real proof uh, of it. But these hearings are just as much about something else, if not more. We have a crisis of trust in the country, right? That's not a surprise to you or anybody else watching right now. You have to explain what you've done with your mandate. If you have information that you believe is too important to tell the American people, explain why, and you should absolutely have to tell more to the leaders in Congress, no matter how you feel. This is a really important step that we're taking tomorrow in terms of getting back 
to they work for us. They tell us things. We're not at their beck and call. Uh, they're not doing us a favor. Yeah. They have to know things that they haven't told and they have to explain. That's my point. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you at the same time. I think the, the fellows earlier made a good point. None of these people have direct knowledge. It's always, I knew about a program from another guy. I, yeah, I, I don't heard, I heard, on and on and on. And at some point, I mean, I think we, we go back to say that when the F-117 stealth fighter was being developed, when the when the B-2 mm-hmm. bomber was being developed, those, those were UFO sightings uh, until right. they were dark government projects. And I'm wondering if, it, if this isn't just a little bit of indulgency in, in sort of what could be, because I don't see the chairman of the House Intel Committee coming out and going, boy, uh, I don't see the Speaker of the House who would be briefed on these kinds of things, the Gang of Eight, who would say, hey, yeah. uh, this is something you need to pay attention to. There's, there's nobody, there's no former president who would have been briefed who goes, yeah, there might be something here. Don, even Donald right. Trump, who, who certainly has been unable to keep almost anything secret, uh, didn't come out and say, hey, this is something worth watching. Um, look, I don't love the guests. Uh, no disrespect to them, by the way, or their service to the country. And I'm certainly open to being surprised. My point is, they are a demonstration of a dilemma, any way you look at it. NASA saying, yeah, we're not going to be there. Uh, the Pentagon saying, yeah, we're, we're not going to send uh, the top of any programs here or anything. And we're probably telling people to stay quiet. I find that to be unacceptable. Hmm. And this is about more than just whether or not the Gang of Eight or anybody knows about extraterrestrial life. Again, To me, uh, that is a a very remote situation. I'm talking about how government works. And frankly, Leland, my suspicion is, you know, people in elected office, they only care about transparency when it's in their favor, when they're playing it to advantage. And we have a crisis in the country. I mean, look, it's even... Who do you have coming up on it tonight? I love what you're doing with your show because you're trying to fix it, Leland. You're trying to show people that you're going to be straight with them all the time, that they can trust what you're doing. I think that's part of the solution. So uh, we have Brian Enton on uh, with some exclusive reporting about uh, people who will be suggestive of what kinds of information should Mm -hmm. come out tomorrow. Uh, We're also doing legal analysis on whether or not... Uh, the Brian Koberger, the man suspected of the murders of those Idaho mm-hmm. college students, may have an alibi. Uh, and we'll, we'll go through that as well. And then, if for no other reason, you should watch the show tonight to wait for the phone call segment. Because you want to see what I caught today. You <laughs> want to see it. Okay? All right. All right. We'll, 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 we'll be watching, especially for that segment and, and, what, and what, what you caught today. We'll, we'll stay tuned. Uh, Chris, have a great show coming up. Uh, News Nation's Brian Anton on with Chris. He's also going to host special live coverage of the congressional UFO whistleblower hearing tomorrow, right after morning in America, 10 a.m. Eastern at Walgreens in New York. We found this while we've been in New York. They lock up the Oreos, but not the protein bars. Your thoughts on what that says about America. Plus, who's really to blame for New York's out of control crime? I challenged them to call him out for bringing back stop and frisk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. So how could you talk about this and not talk about with our our black mayor is allowing the NYPD to do? I'll tell you why. Liberal media is scared of our mayor because he's a black man, so they don't want to talk bad about him. But I challenge them to call him out for bringing back stop and frisk. All right. We're not afraid of anybody uh, here on the program. Hawk Newsom was here last week. We didn't have a chance to finish the conversation. We wanted to have you back to this. So you say the liberal media is to blame for not calling out Eric Adams. Absolutely. At the same time, Eric Adams is saying the liberal media is to blame for making the crime problem in New York appear worse. He says they're reporting too much on it. Which is it? Mm-hmm. Well, the actuality of it is the news is going to report crimes. That's what they do. Now, what the news doesn't have to do, what they're not obligated to do, is to say that the NYPD has brought back stop and frisk, that you have uniformed officers You have sergeants and captains in white shirts who are assaulting, punching, handcuffed people in their face. I get this stuff every weekend, okay? You have a federal monitor who's put in place to say this black mayor is stopping and frisking young black men, something that he stood up against in the past. He's bought it back. Now, what I want to say is everybody wants a safe community, but let's do this the right way. Let's not violate the Constitution. No, look, no argument there. And when there's police brutality, it's it's terrible. But we can all agree there's a problem in New York. And when I was here, I couldn't believe it. Walgreens locked up almost everything, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the Walgreens, I was out on the Upper East Side. You had uh, all of the Oreos and the candy locked up, okay, behind plexiglass. Mind you, the protein bars were not locked up in any way. Now, uh-huh. what, what that says, you can decide for yourself. But it was interesting. We asked for some reports, some thoughts on social media. Somebody wrote back, we are, we are door dashers and have to get the keys for laundry detergent, make up electronics. This is, this is now affecting everybody. The people affects most is who has to buy this stuff and pay for it. Yeah. Uh, the Arkansas Attorney General was on uh, earlier today talking about what he called essentially now the tax that is now put on all of us because of stolen merchandise. Take a listen. There are several facets to this problem. First of all, there's the, there's the economic aspect. Uh, I think the estimate is something like $70 billion a year uh, walks out, runs out, sneaks out of, of retailers. And guess who pays for it? We do. We pay for it. We pay for it in higher prices. It's like a tax. It's sort of an organized retail crime tax. And in New York, most of the people who do that are not prosecuted for it. Mm-hmm. And the poor, the poorest communities are one to pay the biggest tax. I mean, if we're going to talk about theft in America, this is a conversation I should be having with poor white America. You might say why. That's because... White people burglarize homes 50,000 times more than black people. Uh, there are 200,000 more larcenies committed by white people I'm not, than I'm black not, people. Not, no, no, no. I don't, but, but I don't want to have a black and white conversation. This, I, I this is know, the on, face of it. Hold on. I don't want to have a black and white conversation. I want to have a conversation about the people, black, white, brown, purple, yeah. smurf, whatever they are, yeah. who run into stores, grab armloads of stuff, uh-huh. and run out and then go f- fence it on the black market. Yeah. And I want to talk about the fact that in New York, a lot of those people aren't prosecuted. 
Well, so Lee, how is that fair to the communities, black, white, Smurf, whatever, yeah. that then have to pay for that and pay the, the increased prices? See, the problem is you're not showing Smurfs on TV. You're showing black people. That's why I have to clear this up and make it known that most of the thefts in this country are committed by white people. And we're talking one, two, three hundred thousand now. we videos of everybody. Yeah, but you don't show that. Now, let's get to the nitty gritty of it, right? All right. Poor people, black, white, Smurf, as you put it, uh, suffered during the COVID crisis. It was the rich 1% who b- accumulated wealth in the amount of $15 trillion. So now the rich are complaining because poor people are trying to eat. Come on, let's have a real conversation, man. <laughs> I got it wrong. Real conversation. Cuomo's special edition town hall focused on crime in America. We'll be right back. everybody i'm chris cuomo it is tuesday we got a lot of news for you tonight so let's get after it look the ufo hearing is tomorrow in congress and what it really is about i hope 